everybody, Ben Nelson, the Everyday Real Estate Investor here. I am excited because today I have my friend, fellow investor, uh, Mike Nuss here with us. We are going to chat about the market and I cannot think of a better person to have here to do that. Uh, Mike is with Rarebird Acquisitions. Uh, they do lots of different things in investing and uh, former appraiser in a past life. So very knowledgeable on all this stuff and always diving into the economy and everything. So Mike, thanks for being here. I'm excited to chat about the market. Always a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Let's 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 chat market conditions. Let's do it. Let's do it. So there's a lot going on right now. Uh, we talk, uh, you know, inventory levels, the Fed, uh, you know, all of the things that are going on with the economy. So Honestly, where where do we, where should we start with this? It's uh, there's there's a lot to cover. So um, inventory is low, building permits are down, Fed's doing a lot of stuff. Um, what are your what's your overall thought on um, the market right now? Um, some of the current concerns that uh, investors and buyers uh, sellers have. Just give me your kind of your thirty second like snip of where what your thoughts on the market are. Just as, and then we'll dive deeper. Yeah, I think, you know, when people think about real estate market, they typically think of it through the lens of a seller, right? Like what are prices, how are prices are doing, how easy is it to sell a house, how difficult is it to sell a house? And what I'd say is right now is the best market we've seen in the past 12 months, That's um, maybe not 12 months nine, nine months, you know, so a typical real estate market is a five to eight year period of time. We did an entire, we went through an entire real estate cycle in nine months. Um, and what that means is now we're right back to phase one in the cycle, which is growth, builder sentiments back up. So permitting is going to be going back up. A lot of what's in real estate is delayed from the data standpoint, but you nailed it. Everything you just talked about, jobs down, incomes down, transactions down, marketing times up, inventory growing, that's all signs of a recession. And, and so real estate itself went into a recession shortly after the Fed pivoted back in March of last year. Mm -hmm. went into a deep recession in the fall and then immediately in January, at least locally here in Portland, we started coming back out of it. Um, and so we've actually seen prices go up, right? So we saw declining prices from G um, from May, about May last year was kind of the peak. May, May, May was the peak at like 575 and it was month over month over month over month for all the way to January. Um, and that's unheard of. That's just un absolutely unheard of. And what it came through came from was a a crash recession or a flash recession in the real estate side. But during that period of time, values came down, interest rates finally started ticking back down and we found this point of affordability where buyers can now meet sellers demands. Um, and so one thing I like to say is prices, you know, and interest rates go down really, really fast. Prices are not sticky going up, right? If you're a seller and someone asks you, offers you five, 10% more than you're asking, well, that's an easy yes but they are sticky going down. So if you're a so mm -hmm. seller and someone's offering you five, 10, 15% less than what you want, that's not always a yes, right? So it's very fast to go up. It's very sticky to come down. Um, but we did kind of find that median of affordability the past couple of months. And we've actually seen prices rise month over month the past two months. So yeah. we went from a, a crazy good seller's market to a the worst seller's market we've seen in like a decade <laughs> to kind of back to a more and I won't definitely don't want to call it normal, but at least you can sell inventory now. Yeah, that's that there's so much in there. And that's what I it was one of the biggest I mean, 
in my lifetime, you know, the biggest, not that that's a lot, but, <laughs> you know, 40, 40 years of my life, I think it's the biggest, uh, the most quick switch, right? You mentioned we went basically in a six month period, we went from a, a very seller favorable market to, uh, to a, a buyer's market. And then we were back kind of to a, either an equilibrium or maybe slightly favored back in the sellers because of inventory. So, I mean, to go from, usually that's a much slower process and you stay in each phase for much longer. And we went back and forth, you know, in less than a year, which is, which is pretty crazy. I don't know that that's ever happened before. Yeah. Well, it's all, think of it this way. It's all purchase power driven, right? So typically, historically that purchase power driving is through incomes and jobs. So jobs slow down, incomes go down, purchasing power goes down, you get a contraction in real estate. And for Portland, outside of the Great Recession, a down market was a flat market. Um, now that affordability is skyrocketing and and bottoming, good analogy for dropping, whatever the analogy is for <laughs> dropping, um, but it's dropping like a bomb and it's skyrocketing because the interest rates are moving so fast. So mm-hmm. it's all affordability related. It's, you know, all the majority of real estate's purchased with leverage. And so um, your ability to what you can pay monthly is heavily is much more and faster affected by interest rates than than the income side of it. So what's really yeah. interesting is during this period of time, incomes have been going up, right? Like our unemployment rate is a historically low unemployment rate um, nationally. We're not historically low locally here in Portland. Um, but jobs have been gaining. So we've seen the job market grow, but the real estate market crash, right? And so the only thing you can point to that is a sudden change in interest rates. Yeah. 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 And interest rates. And, and uh, you know, I was, people always talk about, um, you know, the supply and demand piece uh, and and tend to leave out the the whole capacity to pay part, which is exactly what she touched on. And there's two pieces to capacity to pay. There's the availability of funding. Mm-hmm. You know, how much are they lending? Uh, you know, what kind of programs do they have? Who are they lending to? Um, is the are they lending money? Um, and the affordability piece. You you know, there could be very little supply and a whole bunch of demand, but if you can't buy it, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah, in in its well, in its cost of funds, right? And yeah it seems like everyone's so focused on the fed and interest rates, you know, that's like, that's the distraction. Interest rates are the distraction. Liquidity is the answer. And, and it's the balance sheet. It's the quantitative easing. And so the complaint is feds are raising rates, are raising rates, are raising rates. The reality is, is that has very little to do with what's happening. The mortgage rates are going up because the fed stopped buying mortgage backed securities. And then the spread, the typical spread is doubled from what the yeah. 10 year yield mortgage backed securities are. So, um, it's like the Fed pulling back from their bond buying program, which again, a lot of people like to blame the Fed for the um, banking crisis we're going through. Well, the Fed, they said exactly what they were going to do back in November of 2021. They didn't start it until March 2022 and then did the second phase of it in September 2022. So it's all been out there. But as the Fed's been pulling away from bonds, from buying bonds, they're not adding liquidity to the market. Um, but they also stopped buying mortgage-backed securities. So like, if you think of Wall Street and them setting the yield curve by their bond buying activity, well, they've affected Wall Street to one order by stop purchasing treasuries and, and um, bonds. 
But then in the real estate world, it was affected by a two order because they stopped buying mortgage backed securities. And so they're not just pulling liquidity out of the market, they're pulling liquidity out of the mortgage market at a faster pace. And so that's why interest rates increase so significantly. And the other thing is the Fed is still doing quantitative easing. They're still buying $30 billion of bonds every month, right? And so it's like this big distraction of what they're doing with interest rates, but that really doesn't matter. It's the liquidity and what they do with their balance sheet that matters the most. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is literally what you hear everybody talking about is the Fed and, and the, you know, them, what they're doing with rates. Um, well, hardly ever you hear this part of it, right? Yeah. And if you go back, like every time they've lowered, they've increased the interest rates over the past four, five, six meetings, what's happened to the bond yields and the mortgage rates? They've gone down. Yeah, right. right. Yep. So it's, 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 but everybody thinks, yeah, everybody thinks that they are directly correlated. Oh, Fed raised the rates, rates are going to go up. And, and actually, a lot of times it's opposite for a number of reasons. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so I'm going to pull up uh, a couple other articles here because I think these are th these are also top of mind um, conversations that you know are going whether they're being happening, you know, out loud or or definitely in people's heads, right? So. Uh, this is a realtor.com article. I love headlines, by the way, because, you know, you got it. You actually have to read the article um, to see what they actually say about it. But um, it's it's uh, it says it's deja vu in the housing market again. Right. No, no. Implying nothing there. Right. Uh, is it 2006 all over again? So the headline is obviously implying it is right. I mean, if you, if you that's kind of what you read into it. Um, now, if you actually read the article. It may or may not say something different, but what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> my, my thoughts are, uh, no, it's not deja vu. Um, we have our, so again, a lot of people look at values as that's how you define a market, right? Values are a symptom of conditions. And so I don't really care about values. I want to know what are the conditions behind it. And then if you understand how the conditions move, you can understand how values are going to move. So, well, what's similar between 2008 through 2010 and now? The only thing that's similar is values are going down. Okay. That's, Although, that's, which you, yeah, which yeah. you mentioned, they're actually going back up. So, yeah, and that's, that's great. Yeah. And that's, and that's, uh, you know, if, if you read the article again, headlines, well, they got to get. Right. So, here's, here's the, they're going back up on a month to month basis, but they're down on a year to year basis. Oh, true. Yes. Cause right. I think, I don't, yeah, that is true. Um, although we're pretty close at this point, I think. At this point, we're very close. I think we're yeah. back back up to zero. Um, but that's just going to the 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 market in 2022. It was April and May and June. That was the hot part. That's when the values kind of really peaked. Yeah. And so if our market, like I think our median sales price or average sales price from April to March, I think was like three something percent increase. Well, if it doesn't go 5% increase, we're still going to have a negative um, year to year number. And typically that's how real estate's measured is, well, values were 550 in March last year and they're 530 right now. Well, it's down 4% or whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah, but, year over year, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's where, you know, his, with real estate, you're typically using his, historic data, right? An appraiser uses six month old comps. The, we've moved so fast, historic data isn't relevant at all. You look at pending sales applications, right? So if you look at the year over year, pending uh, home applications are down 30%. Mm -hmm. But yeah. they're increasing. They've been steadily increasing since uh, end of November last year. So if yeah. you look at the last 16 weeks of 
home applications, it's week over week increasing. So there's actually demands picking up, yep. purchasing power is getting better and the market's wanting to go. But if you compare it to last year, everything's worse. Yeah, you know what? It's I talk about this all the time too. I, I, you know, year over year numbers are they're a good metric in some respects, but they're actually highly deceiving in others because, um, you know, we we're coming from a market with the highest numbers we've seen ever in like pending sales and and prices and all this. So of course, year over year numbers are we could be in a relatively good market, which to your point, you're 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 basically saying that we are, and year over year numbers are of course going to look bad because we're coming out of a record, you know, record prior years. Um, so you got to be careful with year over year numbers. I think, I think they can be very deceiving um, depending on how you're looking at them. Yeah. Well, and now, right. Like one reason I really like real estate is it moves really, really slowly. Yeah. Well, that doesn't move. And so you could use historic data, right? Like using yeah. historic data typically wasn't an issue until yeah. now interest rates have become so low that, you know, a half a point change, in interest rates, when they're 3%, you know, what is that? One 16, 16% change, right? So ha- going from 3% to 3.5% is a 16% change in your cost of interest. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but if you go from 3% to 6%, it's a 100% increase in your cost of interest, yeah. right? So the lower the interest rates got, the bigger those small fluctuations impact your, your, your mortgage payment. Yeah. Um, and so we just went to a much quicker, faster market, which means you have to look at different data to be relevant. Absolutely. Yeah. And to your, you kind of alluded to earlier, you know, your, your year over year numbers don't, they don't tell the whole story in the sense that we are seeing increases in, uh, you know, mortgage applications. We are seeing increases in prices, but if you're looking at it from today versus last year, um, it looks like we're down. Right. So, yep. Doesn't, doesn't tell the whole story. Uh, but Okay, so I'm going to talk to this. So pending home sales decreased uh, 5.2% in, okay, this says March. So we're a little, we're a month behind on it. Um, I actually don't know what April was, but we are, we have seen pending home sales decline. Before I give my thoughts on it, I want to hear your, because uh, I feel like there's several things in that, that blender of why that's happening. Uh, but I want to hear your take before I throw mine out there. It's the volatility, right? So um, we had very strong um, jobs report in January and a less of a de- effect in inflation. So we had this this blip in the 10-year yield, right? So essentially, if you look at the 10-year yield, that's the best way to track it, in my opinion. If you look at the 10-year yield graph, you can see the volatility that we've had. Um, it kind of, the, the yield blipped in late February, early March. And because of what's happening in the expectations of what the Fed's going to do, right? So it's not about what they do. It's about what they do in comparison to the expectations of the market. Um, and when your jobs, jobs report's really hot, um, that's a good sign for the economy, right? So I think the better way to say it is the real estate pain is for the most part behind us. And the closer that we get to a recession, that's better for real estate market because the closer we get to a recession, the lower interest rates are going to go. The lower interest rates go, the more debt you can afford, the more debt you can afford, the more likely you can meet a seller's demand from price. And so we're getting closer and closer to the recession. um, But the way that we came out of the year, the stock market went crazy, the NASDAQ, the Dow Jones, um, the jobs, 500,000 jobs added. 
um, jobless claims were not down where we wanted. So it's like, oh, crap, this economy looks good. <laughs> Yields go up, <laughs> interest rates go up, right? So interest rates got down towards 6% in like early January. And then they're back up to 7% in late February, early March, right? Yeah. And so that change, that one point change, pulled your purchasing power back, slow sales down, right? Now you have less demand, you have less upward pressure on pricing. Um, yeah, they're so not adjusting. They're, they're yanking on those levers these days, aren't they? On, you know, pulling uh, with interest rates. And yeah, it's... Yeah. Well, it yeah, it's it's think of it this way. Also, there's so much money in the world that it has to move places. And so we're seeing this movement as well. It's yeah. moving in and out of the stock market. It's moving in and out of bonds. It's moving in and out of cash. Um, depositors are now moving away from checking accounts into market money market accounts. Um, so that's that's a part of it is we're on the back end of this huge push of um, creating money. Right. We don't print money, but we create credit. Yeah. Um, that's a good distinction. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that I, you know, I, I don't, I definitely don't think it's the only reason, but I, it contributes, contributes to it for sure. And that's the, the constraints on inventory, right? Um, inventory ticked up a little bit here in Portland this last month, but not much. We're still under two months. A lot of other markets saw, you know, you mentioned the second half of last year, um, it, you know, inventory was going up, but it's still very tight in a lot of markets and it's come back down to, you know, under two months, you know, two to three months in a lot of the major metro areas. So do you see that? Do you agree with that? Uh, that inventory constraints are contributing to that pending sales dip? Uh, and, and there's a second piece to that, which, which I kind of will add to that. And how do you see, so everybody locked in these really low interest rates over the last, you know, four or five years, or maybe it was longer than that. But you know, anybody, people, lots of people bought, lots of people refinanced. How do you see that affecting inventory moving forward? That's kind of a um, part of the question. Is yeah. it affecting it? And then, and then, how do you see that affecting inventory moving forward? Yeah, let's kind of talk just about inventory, and then we can add into those other scenarios because there's a lot of reasons why it's happened the way it's happened. Inventory typically grows this time of year. That's what people, a lot of people don't realize is inventory grows from the spring to the summer and shrinks in the winter. Um, and when our market, when we went into a essentially sales recession in June of last year, invent inventory did start to grow um, in a short period of time, right? And so we saw this little increase of inventory and then it kind of, so it went at an abnormal curve later on in the summer when when uh, inventory starts coming down, we kind of we cross this little peak of where now for the first time in three years, we've had more inventory this year than we did the previous year. Yeah. Um, and then. Uh, it just kind of stopped and we went into a normal inventory cycle. And then typically we do it's around March is when sellers start coming to the market again. And we, we see an intick, uptick of new listings. Um, at a faster pace than we see an uptake at demand, and then that creates more inventory. Now, supply levels, which factors in both inventory and sales, so supply and demand, those are under two months. Um, what was interesting was even though our inventory peaked, um, I don't know if you think I can find it, I think our inventory growth peaked August or September of last year, but our supply levels went up over that period of time because demand was just pulling down, right? So demand was walking away. So we have less demand. We have less of an absorption rate to divide into that top line supply number. 
Um, but now we're back under two months of supply. So what does that mean? It means competition hasn't really changed between buyers, right? So the competition switched from buyers to sellers in the summer of last year, and then competition switched back from sellers to buyers this year. Mm-hmm. Um, now you, you talk about mortgage rates and a mortgage rate lock. So think of it that way is if you just refinanced your house in 2022, um, 2021, and you're thinking now you want to move, well, you know, you may have a $2,000 a month payment for the house you're in and the house that you want may not be that much nicer, but your payment's now $3,500 to buy that house. Well, it has to be a significantly better home for you to want to make that change. But the reality is, is it's probably not a significantly better home because that cost of increase in cost isn't from value. That increase in cost is from interest. And so that then creates longer, uh, you stay in your house longer, right? And and that's kind of a period that we're going into is now um, the, I think it's over the past two years, the average life in your house has increased another year. And the thought process is, is that we're going to see longer ownership periods of homes because of this. Um, you know, it's pretty anecdotal, but I, you know, I talk to people a lot of the time. They're like, I don't think I'm ever going to sell my house because I've got a 3% interest rate. The reality is, is that's not true. The reality is life circumstances are going to happen. You're going to sell for whatever reason. But the reality is, is you're weighing that decision a lot more than you ever did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I, uh, I, what I say is people need, uh, is most people, cause a lot of people again, have that scenario where it's like, I've got this really great interest rate. Uh, you, like you said, you you think about it a lot harder than you would, and you have to have a really compelling reason. You have to have really completely outgrown that house, or you're moving out of state for a job, or you know you're trying to get out of a neighborhood for a school district, you know, to a new school district or something. There's some sort of life reason other than just hey, I want to trade for you know a, a little bit bigger house for a little bit nicer house. It's a lot harder to just to do that. You have to have a more compelling reason than you have ever had to have before. Correct. And then the other thing to consider is the way single family rents have increased so much over the past 10 years um, and your interest rates is so low, it actually makes more financial sense now than it used to to hold that property as a rental. So now yeah. you 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 kind of have this. How many landlords do you have you met were accidental landlords, right? There's just like, hey, they never intended to be a landlord, but they owned a home, they bought a new one, and then they just decided to rent the one they have. Well, that percentage is going to go up because of this, because Absolutely. the cost to rent is now higher than the cost to buy. Yeah. Or excuse Very me, the, the cost of the, the cost to rent now is higher than your cost to own when you refinanced at such a low rate or buy. Right, right. Gotcha. Yep. Totally makes sense. Yep. Um, let's talk about, so we talked about inventory. What about upcoming inventory? So for quite a while, you know, you mentioned earlier, builder sentiment has been down. Uh, permits have been down. I pulled another article um, it, that said it's from uh, it says U.S. housing market stabilizing as single-family home building permits surge. Now, what's interesting? Everything is regional, or or I mean, even more than that, right? It's your local local market. So, uh, it, within the article, it said you know single-family home building increased 4.4 percent in the Northeast, soared 23.6 in the Midwest. Uh, 4.8 in the South, but it plummeted uh, 16% in the West. So, you know, totally, you know, the, all of these, a lot of these articles talk, and when people talk about the market, 
you know, it's nationally, right? But the markets across the US react differently to everything that's going on. And, and this is one of those examples. So what are you seeing? And I, I'm not, I, I see things here and there, but um, can you speak to inventory and in that sense, as far as uh, single family home starts, you know, builders, things like that, what you're seeing out there? Yeah. Um, you know, there, so builder sentiment dropped to its lowest, like, and stock prices of, of publicly traded national builders were at their lowest um, into the fall of last year. And then sentiment started picking up and stock prices started going up at the back end of last year. And well, it all makes sense if you think of it as builders are just for profit businesses, right? And, and if the sales, the ability to sell a home, drives everything that they do. The ability to sell a home is really driven by interest rates or the affordability of the house. Well, mm -hmm. it makes sense that their sentiment was really, really low last summer and last fall because we were in a sales recession. Yeah. And now that we're no longer in a sales recession, sales are still down, but they're picking the growth, the sales, the amount of sales are growing from where they were. Well, then now you have more confidence of the builder. And now think of it this way. COVID's like a double-edged double sword. And when it first came out, it really restricted our ability to build homes, right? Timelines just got much, much, much longer. Interest rates got low. Demand to buy those was there. It pushed prices up for, it, for, for the new homes. But those, you know, the land was bought with completely different market conditions. And so they were yeah. extremely, extremely profitable the stuff that they're selling early 2022. In order to sell later in 2022, they had to lower their prices. But I guarantee you for a lot of those builders, that meant lowering prices back down to what their performa level was. Right. Where right. they actually grew to. So yeah. builders were still also able to show profitability, even though their sales volume was down um, and their prices were down. The other thing when I say COVID's a double-edged sword, well, the other scenario is because it takes longer to build a home because we still have supply uh, chain constraints that kept too many homes coming to the market when those sales volume was down. Right. So think of it this way. The reason our values are only we're only, you know, I think for 2022 in Portland values went up 15 percent from from like January to May and then down 12 percent for the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. What kept those values from not going down 20, 25, 30% was because we didn't have a flock of inventory coming to the market, right? If inventory yeah. had gotten above 6,000 listings. So think of this way. I think we maxed out around 4,000 residential listings kind of at our peak of inventory. Right now we're back up to 3,500. Went from 4,000 down to around 3,000. Now we're back up to 3,500. Back in 2008, 2009, 2010, it got up to like eight, nine, 10,000 listings, right? So if we had gotten to 8,000 listings and demand was as paltry as it was back in August, yeah. values yeah. are now crashing, right? Yep. Because now you, in order to, as a buyer, you see all these sellers, you see all these opportunities, they're just sitting back, ah, who wants me? Who's going to fight over me? And so that's what sellers have to do. Um, but we never got to that that period of time. Part of it was the lower interest rates and people not wanting to sell. Part of it was because builders can't build. You get on the West Coast, why are permitting down 16% on the West Coast? Because you have other constraints that are just zoning code, lack of land. Um, yeah. So it's a significantly different market. And that's one thing you go like, go back to your deja vu scenario. You know how you know that um, the Great Recession wasn't a um, real estate crash and that it was a financial crash? 
It's because it affected the entire nation, right? Like real right. estate is not, real estate doesn't do that. Real estate's very local. It's very location. But when the entire nation crashes, it's because the entire financial system crashed. Very What's true. That's a good now, distinction. Yeah. 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 So liquidity, right? And actually interest rates were going down. So everyone who thinks we've got this foreclosure rush coming and they're pointing to 2008 and they're saying, well, interest rates are up. Like this was the joke of last spring is interest rates are up. All these foreclosures are coming. Well, if you're using interest rates are up as your reasoning, we'll go back to 2000. Interest rates were going down in 2009, 2010, 2011. Yeah. Right? So yeah. it wasn't interest rates that were driving that foreclosure crisis. It was payments changing. It was and then lack of liquidity. Well, yep. interest rates skyrocketed this year, but liquidity didn't really change. Right. The yeah. cost of funds increased, but the amount of capital didn't increase. Um, and yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. That they can function. I can't remember where yeah. I was going with that rant. Yeah. But. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think, yeah, pointing number one, pointing to the wrong data point there, right? With interest rates. And number two, you can't look at, you know, people do that all the time. Oh, this one reason. And, and this is why, you know, we're in the same scenario. Um, you know, when you got to look at all the different data points, you can't just look at one thing and, and draw a conclusion. Well, you can, but you're probably wrong if you're doing that. Right. So, yeah, correct. Yeah. Well, I think in, in case in point, right before we jumped on here, I uh, got on this, I jumped on Bloomberg to see. So like, um, the conversation, so the Fed just raised rates again. And the conversation the past two days has been, well, we had a, a weak jobs report last week, right? So that was part of their decision is jobs. And in fact, the biggest decision process for right now is jobs. And so, oh, well, you know, the labor market's getting, you know, the economy, it's a sign of the economy, it's getting worse. Maybe the Fed's going to light up. Well, the headline I just got on Bloomberg was stronger than expected jobs report. Feds will keep rate higher, right? It's like you just have to have a fucking talking point. The yeah. reality is, is the Fed has two mandates. They need to fight inflation and they want maximum employment. If our unemployment is at a record low, that just gives them the go ahead to then go use their tools to fight inflation. Yeah. So the Fed's not going to change until the jobs reports change. But going back to um, real estate is locational. The Fed's making decisions based on a national basis. But if you now yeah. look at jobs reports, you're seeing areas where jobs are getting worse in some areas like the Southeast, but aren't really being felt or hurt in the Northeast and on the West Coast. So think of it this way. The Fed needs to make their policies based on national data. Well, some markets are going to need that where some other markets aren't going to need that. And that then is like I mentioned before, the closer we go into a recession, the more affordable housing is going to get because interest rates go down. So there's going to be places where that's not going to offset it enough because the job market's down too much. But then in some areas like the West Coast, the job markets are good. So interest rates coming down, incomes going up. Now real estate just gets more affordable. Values are going to start right. going up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah, when you're when you're fighting local local market, well, they're not really fighting it. But when you are trying to affect all these different local markets, uh, with something that's national and all the markets have their own nuances, it's just, it's impossible to do. Yeah. So they're looking at things on a national level. They're looking at national numbers. Correct. They don't really care about the local market per se. They're just looking at, uh, you know, what, what it does on, with the national numbers. Right. So. Yeah. They're thinking of it this way. Their tools can affect local markets. Their tools can yeah. only affect the entire nation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. The macro tool. 
Yep, exactly. Yep. Yep. So it's all, that's why it's so important to look at your local market and what's going on there and, and what are your drivers there and what are, you know, inventory and supply levels doing there and where are jobs headed. And um, the macro data is good because it can help you see the big picture, but you can't look at that and draw conclusions for your local market. Correct. And you got to look at trends. You can't just look at one report. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Well, um, two two closing questions here to try. I'll, I'll just combine them for us. So uh, what are some opportunities? So, you know, every market has opportunities, right? And they just look a little bit different. So I, what are some opportunities you see where we're at in the market? And then maybe what are some things moving forward um, not, that that people should be maybe aware of or, or kind of cautious about uh, moving forward uh, if there's anything. Can you rephrase that? I'm sorry. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. So opportunities and, and uh, maybe things to be, um, you know, cognizant of or, or um, aware of moving forward for, for investors in the market that we're in and, and where you think we're headed. Um. Yeah, I think the market's going to be volatile. Um, I think the closer we get to recession, the less volatile interest rates will get. But until we get there, they're going to be volatile. And that means pricing is going to be volatile. Sales volume is going to be volatile. It does seem that um, the market's really kind of getting back down into a seller's market with where days on market are. Um, there was this huge window of buying opportunity for single family residential, right? From there was. Uh, August, September, October, and November and December, you had this, what was that? Five months, mm -hmm. five months window of time to go get really good deals on real estate. Um, so the conversations you had with sellers back then are completely different than the conversations you have with sellers now. Um, what I can say is the commercial world is behind that residential world. It just is moving slower by the, um, the makeup of the financing in that market and the way those markets work. Again, we saw a huge decline in sales volume. So we saw a sales recession, um, but the very large one. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. there will be a buying window that opens up um, on the commercial side and it should be a pretty big buying window with one and a half trillion dollars of debt coming mature, maturing in the next um, tw two years. Yeah. So, um, and then in residential, I think, you know, it, it, it's always a good time to buy given the context of buying right, given where the market conditions are for that property, for that location. Um, so we haven't missed anything. You can still go buy good real estate, but those really, 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 really good deals, I feel like have come and gone. Yeah. 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 And to touch on the commercial side really quick, there's two things there. Number one, uh, commercial uh, real estate is a lot more income and cap rate driven uh, and, and financing. I mean, obviously financing and, and interest rates affect uh, single family home and your, your homeowners, but it affects investment real estate differently because it's all about returns and cash flow. And you're looking at it differently than a place to live. Is this an investment? So um, number two, I think uh, nobody really anticipated rates going up so quickly and so far, right? So you've got I think quite a few people out there with this short-term bridge debt that they had an exit that may not be feasible anymore. And so there could be some opportunity um, there to help people exit um, in a different way than they had anticipated when they got into the investment. Yep. It's a good way to frame it. Yeah. Yep. We don't want to take advantage of people, right? We want to help them. Mm -hmm. Yep. Awesome. Well, so, okay. 
crash correction or continued appreciation? What which one is it? Um, well, I think it's different. And again, when we talk about commercial, there's different segments in that, right? So Absolutely, yeah. I think office is crashing, right? Office and retail is you're going to see a crash. I think industrial strong. Um, I think apartments are going to have a collaborate calibration. So like single family had a calibration the last half of last year. I think apartments because the income is is truly uh, shelter driven. Um, you just have this hiccup, you got to get out of all that short term bridge debt, but that's not going to be a crash of value. Um, I think for single family residential, again, locationally, I don't, I just don't see how interest rates go back up to the point where now values go down, right? I think we already baked that into where our market's at. So, um, you know, if values are higher this time next year than they are today, it wouldn't surprise me by any by any means. But I do think we're going to see values go up and down in that process. And the values yeah. are going to go up and down um, faster and harder than they typically do because we will still see some volatility. But I think, you know, looking back three, five years from now, looking back today, there's no doubt in my mind values are going to be higher. Yeah. Yeah. So a little bit more volatility than what we're used to in uh, the housing market just because it tends to move slower, right? Um, but we're kind of hitting these, these bubbles, these windows of time just based on what interest rates are doing, but that's a good answer. So it depends is really the big answer, but yeah, that's why we, you know, you got to know, know your niche. You got to know your market because they're all going to be, they're all in a different spot right now. Right. Multifamily. You can't say the market it's the, you know, multifamily office, industrial, single family, residential there. They're all in a different spot and that's pretty, pretty normal. Um, in most markets. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of had a, a period of time where everything was doing well. Um, but kind of now back to you got to really know. Yeah, know I think that's, a, that's a really good way to look at it, right? 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, that was all abnormal because everything was doing the same thing. It was all going down. 2021, yeah. 2022, that was not, it was abnormal because everything was going up, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. But market conditions, global economy, macro economy affects different segments in different ways. And so they should act in different ways. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely true. Yep. Well, Mike, thanks so much for being here. Wealth of knowledge as always appreciate you taking the time out to chat about the market. Uh, and Hey, we'll have to have you on again another time and, and get caught up here in a few months and see, yeah. uh, you know, what the market's doing at that time. It'd be fun. Awesome. Thanks again for being here. Yep. Adios. Adios.